WFAE's David Borex has the story. Tariq Bakari and Larkin Eggleston call their podcast R&D in the QC. Eggleston says they hope to reach people who may not pay attention to the council. Eggleston is 35 and a Democrat. Bakari is a 37-year-old Republican. Despite their political differences, they bonded on the campaign trail in part over their beards, says Bakari. The beards themselves are what truly united us in the beginning. They hope to be an example of how to debate productively across the political divide. R&D in the QC, episode 75. We do a post-election recap and completely avoid any discussion of rezonings. That's right, folks. Episode 75. All we're going to talk about is rezonings. Larkin? None of it. I'll have none of it. This was one of the worst rezonings we've ever rezoning meetings we've ever had. We, well, it was e- annoying. I don't even think we made it through half the rezonings. And the irony of the post-election recap episode is you'd think that the conversations and the the talking would get shorter after the election. It, yeah, it people, somehow got longer. They amped it up a notch. And I was uh, like, you guys, you, you won. We're gonna have a whole nother rezoning meeting. It's not like we're gonna clean up two or three that we left over. Uh, tonight, next week, we're gonna have a whole nother rezoning meeting next week. Essentially, that's terrible. Um, but I can't talk about that stuff any more than we've already done tonight. So instead, six days removed from the primary election, we have invited our f- a friend of the pod, friend of the pod, back on Sam Spencer, the chair of the planning commission, um, which has we're not going to talk about that at all. The Sam Wise we- to our Ganges. I don't know what any of that means. Can- At least it wasn't Samuel Tarley. Ooh, Samuel to my Tarley, Castle Black kind of style. Still don't have nothing. Any- I got don't- nothing. You got? He's got nothing. Okay. Um, I know there's an actor named Sam Rockwell. If you'd have made that reference, well, I'd have known that that was an actor. Well, that's in fact who played Samwise Ganji. Is it really? It's great. Yes. No, Sam's no, no, saying no, no, it's I'm pretty not. sure. Yeah, it's not okay. correct. It's not correct. Um, we have invited him on here not because of his zoning prowess, but because he is like grade A data geek when it comes to political stuff. Although I will give him quick props on his performance today when called out by Councilman Winston uh, for one we've never really seen a like uh, please uh, planning chair. That microphone uh, has never been used yeah, before. Yeah, okay, it's like a really old. Like, didn't, I didn't even think it worked. Yeah, it's like a definitely. It's 1960s like a Bob Barker prices right. Like, come on down. And what does he do? But he says. And answers the question at the end. He's like, and this council in aggregate has approved over 200,000 vehicle trips over the last term. So that doesn't make sense to anyone who wasn't watching the meeting. But basically, Sam uh, explained zoning committee's stance on something and then took a shot across the bow at the whole council. (laughs) And so now he'll never be called on again. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But but then I was called on for the next rezoning. Well. That's true. Um, uh, all right. I think it's, it's all caught up with us now. But so more, Tark and I are going to have completely uh, factless discussions around what happened on the the election on Tuesday, just in terms of color commentary about it. Uh, but Sam's going to back up some of the things we say with data. Mm. And so then that should should solidify so where, what in terms races, of being what worth listening to. What race do you to. want to start with? Well, we start at the top of the ticket, 9th Congressional District. Mm. And I want to get, we will talk about that, and then we're going to get into what that means for filling um, Senator Bishop's seat, because he will be, mm. uh, Dan Bishop obviously was the victor in the Battle of the Dans. 
um, by a larger margin than Mark Harris had presumably won by last time. Are you more surprised that our created tagline Battle of the Dan didn't didn't really catch on? No, it didn't. I mean, that was so good. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. But anyway, so he gets sworn into the United States Congress tomorrow, and that will leave a vacancy in the North Carolina Senate, so we'll talk about who might end up there. But um, Sam can give us some data. The the takeaway was that Dan Bishop had performed better in some of the rural eastern counties than Mark Harris had last year. Um, Tell me if the data supports my assumption, which is um, that the east of the Ninth District – the rural east, the Lumbee Indians and everything else like that is where uh, the more uh, Republican or conservative votes were to be had. And for some reason, Mecklenburg, the South Wedge, is like completely blue, but it's almost kind of a bit of an anomaly blue where it kind of happens in more kind of, you know, federal level races. And as we get to state and then even lower the municipal, it still kind of doesn't quite go that blue. Are you, are you saying that because you hope that to be Tell true? Tell me that's the case. Please, <laughs> Tell me the Sam. District 6 voters in the uh, 9th Congressional please, District are still conservative Sam. in municipal politics. I've actually politics. broken down the District 6 numbers already, so I actually yeah. know. So, so what we were looking at is that in the city limits, I think Bishop ended up winning one precinct in Charlotte. Yes. And so what ha- what basically happened was that— Let's get there Mac- immediately. McCready <laughs> um, actually increased his performance— in the 9th Congressional District uh, in Mecklenburg County. Uh, there were very few out near Mint Hill that also went for Bishop. The The problem for McCready was that, like you said, down east, um, after the election, the Bishop team said that that's where they invested a lot of their money. Um, and they thought, you know, their basic campaign strategy was that Mecklenburg voters aren't that persuadable. There's going to be a big turnout for McCready. Union voters aren't that persuadable. There's going to be a big turnout for Bishop. The real battlefield for this race is starting in in Richmond County, going west. And you skipped Anson. Well, because An- An- Anson goes it's very blue. small. Anson, it, it's small, but but it's solid Democratic. Um, Cumberland, very surprising. Very surprising results from from Cumberland, and so uh, I, I think when is that when, where Fayetteville is? Yeah, uh, when people started to see the Lumbee the traditional Lumbee precincts in Robinson County uh, tilt towards Bishop. That's when I think everybody knew it was game over. Um, You had a basically 15-point swing from McCready winning Robinson by an overwhelming amount last time to, you know, winning by just a couple hundred votes in this race. Um, I think that's the the biggest surprise for all the election watchers. And I think there's going to be a lot of dissection of – what does that mean for Democrats? What does that mean for Republicans? Robison um, has had a really interesting electoral history over the past couple of years. In it's a solid Democratic county usually, but in 2016 there was a 25 percent drop in African American votes that was basically chalked up to Hurricane Matthew. Um, it then it swung. how much of that area down in the eastern part of the ninth and the eastern part of North Carolina more broadly is still the old school conservative Democrat that is mostly gone from Mecklenburg County now, but still exists in parts of our state. I think in a lot of the armchair Twitter analysis of this race, you saw a lot of folks on Twitter 
uh, discover Jesse Kratz for the first time. And the Jesse Kratz are what we used to call to describe the people who were still voting Democrat in the state house, state Senate elections, but always voted for Jesse Helms in the federal elections, voted Republican in the Senate races, but would still put in Democratic governors. And it's going to be real interesting to see if, uh, looking at next year, uh, if the uh, if Governor Cooper's campaign puts in a lot of effort down east where, you know, the governor's from Rocky Mount, he's from east of I-95, um, if they're really going to put in a lot of resources there or or if the Democrats are just going to start saying, let's max out the urban areas and we're finally at the point where we can just, you know, Trump's so unpopular in the suburbs, we can max out urban areas in the suburbs and that's how we're going to win. Um, obviously, as a as an old school Democratic st- strategist, I think uh, I believe in a hundred county strategy. And just because you're going to lose a county doesn't mean you shouldn't be working for every vote there. Um, but it but it's going to be interesting to see how statewide Democrats respond and Republicans. Not, not that you ask, but I agree that we can't. <laughs> I mean, if the narrative is that if the narrative is that the, the the people in the rural counties are feeling like they're being left behind, then saying. I'm not going to get enough votes there to campaign there does nothing but underscore that that sense for those folks. Yeah. And, and traditionally, you know, we've had Democrats who've been successful at council of state who are not from the big urban counties. Elaine Marshall has been elected um, in every secretary of state race since 1996. She's from Harnett County. Wayne Goodwin's from Wayne, Hamlet. Richmond County. Um, and, I thought and, that was Rockingham County. Uh, no, Rockingham is in Richmond County. Oh yeah, that's very confusing. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, but in I'm a, following this right on par, guys. Geography. Well, my here we go. Th- you'll like this better, Tark. One of your political bucket list goals. I just came up with a new one for you. Mm. You just mentioned Jesse Kratz. Some of your crossover supporters, probably from the R and D and the QC listening audience, that might be Democrats who might consider voting for you in November, could be Tarkrats. Well, the first step before <laughs> we go to full on Tarkrats is uh, to the point you brought up. Tark curious. Can a. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. I, I think that would be Bo curious. Let's just start by maybe a couple of my yeah, fans. Confuse it with Bojangles. A couple though. of my fans, because you're real busy. I know you got a lot of stuff going on. Hop on just like Larkin's fans always do and comment on the actual, uh, what is this thing called? Podcast place? iTunes world? You know, wherever you get your podcast, if oh, you can make a still, comment You're still on salty it. about that. I'm a little salty because he keeps bringing up only people comment nice about me. So if anyone I mean, does listen to be fair, there, there's some people that hate both of us. I would totally agree with that. <laughs> um, so, all right. So what about the, what was this? Any surprises in the actual data of the uh, municipal race? Well, hold on. Before we do that, Dan mm. Bishop's Senate seat. So, oh, yeah. Um, no, been you a, can't have it. There have been a, I don't want it. There have been a couple of names bounced around. Kenny Smith has already removed himself from the discussion. But um, the, the name that I heard through the grapevine is probably the leader in the clubhouse in terms of the appointment would be Bill Brawley, former state house representative. Really? Uh, Andy Doolin, his name's in there. Rob Bryan, Matthew Rodenauer. And then there was a fifth one who was mentioned in the Observer article who I don't think I knew. Not an elected official. Not an elected yeah. official. Um, I'll try to find that while we talk about it. But what I mean, Tark, you live in that Senate district. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on who well, might it, have a? I think a what it would come edge. down to would be inner party politics, given that it's the 
Mecklenburg GOP Executive Committee. Just from that Senate just district. Just from that district that ultimately makes that decision. So I haven't gone through and like looked at exactly who that is. Somebody told me that I have a vote. Yes. I do. As an elected official. As an probably. elected official. Um, because the, the Republican plan of organizations a lot like the Democratic one. And so in ours, uh, elected officials get one vote uh, at the county executive committee. Well, it's a lot like it, but it's also a lot better, I would assume. Well, um, it's less know. necessary. <laughs> Imitation's the greatest form of flattery. Ooh, you're hot tonight, dude. Yeah. But, uh, but, but here, Jamie, Jamie this, Harris. Jamie Harris Jamie was Harris. the other one. He's former vice president of Coca-Cola Consolidated. I don't know if you know him or not. Doing really well in the oh, stock no. market right right now, by the way. Jamie Harris or Coca-Cola Consolidated? Coca-Cola Consolidated. Jamie, too. His portfolio, <laughs> outrageous right but, now. But I think this gives an opportunity to tell one of my favorite Mecklenburg County politics stories. Um, so the last time that we had a special... Sit around count- the fire, Tark, and hear the legend of Jeff mm. Jackson. It is the legend of oh. Jeff Jackson. Uh, so Was this his snow day, or will it be something This is when else? he got to be a senator. Yeah, so Dan Claude, uh, we, we had uh, some shuffling around in the mayor's office in Charlotte. And, uh, Our mayor went to jail. <laughs> I heard about that. Uh, Dan Claude Felter becomes mayor. Senate 30, 37 is vacant. And so we have a county executive committee meeting for the Democrats, uh, to choose who's going to be our, our next senator. And one of the interesting things about this meeting is that on the first ballot, uh, nobody won. But uh, what happened was that there were multiple candidates, including the eventual winner, Jeff Jackson. And what Jeff did was uh, Daryl Bonaparte, I, I believe it was Daryl Bonaparte, was. Got, got nominated. And uh, No, Jeff Jackson nominated Daryl Bonaparte. Yeah, it, well, well, no, or Jeff did the second. That, that's where I was going with this. And so because it, it was deadlocked by, like, one vote, and because Jeff Jackson was gracious enough to give Daryl Monaparte the nomination or the second, Vilma Leek switches her vote, becomes a Jeff Jackson voter, and by one vote, Jeff Jackson becomes the state senator uh, from Senate 37. I did, not that, know, I did not know that wrinkle of, of that story. I was there that day, but I didn't That was the it. first day he rolled up those sleeves, unbuttoned that top button, and loosened his tie and got to work. And for heart the started throbbing all over the Jeff Senate district. Jackson. And, and, and before you start the conspiracy theories, who appoint officially? Pat McCrory had to appoint Jeff Jackson because the governor has to appoint whoever the party decides. So Roy Cooper is not going to appoint a Democrat. Roy Cooper has to appoint whoever the Republican County Executive Committee for Senate 39 decides. So Jeff Jackson was first endorsed by Pat McCrory is what you're saying. <laughs> so Tark, you, do you want to break the news here? I mean, there's only, what, like 40 votes on this thing? Any any thoughts on where your vote's going? Where my vote? I don't know. Can I vote for myself? Uh, you could. And hold both seats, but, but not no. go to Raleigh for that seat? No. You, All right, you, then I'm out. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, it's around eighty people that get to vote. So eighty, according to this article. Yeah, I mean, the the person who wins this thing is going to be the person who's on the phone, who knocks on each of these doors individually, who really puts the time. Each of the eighty doors. Yeah, each of the eighty doors. Well, and then like like Senator Jackson, in his case, he actually the way the timing worked out on that was all Dan Klotfelter would already had a spot on the ballot, I think unopposed. And so Jeff Jackson basically ended up getting two and a half years free because he just took Klotfelter's spot on the ballot and had no opposition. So mm. in the same way, whoever gets this appointment will be in the driver's seat for reelection. It's not like our city council ones where we say you're not supposed to run again. 
they would almost certainly be looking when, for someone when who would we, stay down are we, there. Are we going to be hearing this like very soon? Maybe we assume? can get all these uh, folks on to make their pitch to those 80 We're voters. We're all 80 of the voters. It's going to be really crowded We'll do it here. like every one a day. Um, I don't know. You know, it's, I'll, I'll have I know to you're friends with a lot of those folks. To the, the, uh, get deeper into the process. But my assumption is I think uh, Bishop gets uh, sworn in tomorrow. Yes, that's so, already been said on this episode. Did I was not paying attention? Yes. To that. So breaking news: Bishop will be sworn in tomorrow. <laughs> so I this, believe. Yes, tomorrow. Presumably, would happen it. quickly. And uh, but I, so I, again, I don't even remember who I heard it from, but someone said that uh, that uh, former representative Brawley Brawley had the uh, he is definitely the well well liked. Definitely well. I mean, of of that bunch, regardless of what anybody thinks about any of them, of that bunch, he would certainly be the one able to step in and get back up to speed as quickly as as anyone. Uh, The others have some experience in serving in Raleigh, but um, not the same amount of experience that that. Well, we'll see. The power's in my hands, I guess. One one out of one eightieth of the power. And that might be in my hands. <laughs> Legit question: in in a Republican county uh, executive committee anymore, do you think the the toll stuff hurts Brawley at all, or is that a non-issue? Uh, probably. Well, I mean, everyone that would be voting in this Senate district would be not that close to the tolls, so probably not. Um, but people don't forget that stuff either. So I don't know, man. All right, so that's all the fallout from the 9th Congressional District. Um, in the mayor's race... Vi squeaked one out. Well, so here's the thing that I, I, I want to say about the mayor's race. Because I, I was... Vi got, what, 86 or 87% of the vote. And that was a little higher than we had guessed. I think more f- impressive, 60,000, 89 votes. Yeah, that's almost like a general... But that, you can't, like, that. that's so weird with know, the 9th. Like, you can't, well, you can't yeah. count... The, 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 the hard numbers so, because of but that. But the thing that disappointed me was that I think we all agreed that Joel Odom was a nice guy. He ran a good campaign. I mean, again, didn't have a chance to win. He finished fourth, I think. And that was that was a little frustrating that, like... Tigress beat him? No, she was the only one that didn't. Oh. Um, so there is some, there's some rhyme and reason to the universe. But... But Roderick Davis, who showed up to exactly zero things during the I don't even know who that is. He's got some name ID from having run against Joel Ford for state senate and having run for municipal office before. Um, Lucille Puckett, who's been running a lot, and and she is a more known entity, finished, I think, second. But Joel Odom, I I really kind of hoped for him that he would finish second and um, that people would see he was more serious than the other people who – we're running, I just, I, I don't, my gut was I liked him. He looked fine or whatever. I could, I didn't take him very seriously. Well, I don't, but I don't think anybody took any of them all that seriously. And I, I don't know. Well, yeah, it, all right, it's just fine. frustrating. Good when point. You, it's frustrating when you see people actually put in a respectable effort and run a respectable campaign and then they're not rewarded and his reward would have been finishing second in a five person field. That would have been a win for him. Yeah. I mean, he had a campaign manager. He had, he had signs. t-shirts, yeah. he had signs. He was running a, a real campaign and I'll lift a, a little under the hood here. Um, as some of you, some of you know, like I, I occasionally do stuff for uh, a local member of Congress who will, shall remain nameless. And one of the damn Bishop, one of the uh, one of our one of our the responsibilities when you do political work is you have to put together the list of everybody who won and lost, so you know people can get phone calls and 
Um, and, and, you know, I, did, I had Joel on there because, I mean, I thought Joel was going to be second too. Um, I did get my phone call from her. Thank you. Um, I didn't. Yeah, you didn't win anything Tuesday. It's true. You didn't lose either, though. That's um, a positive. So, at large, there wasn't a Republican primary. Was there any, where, let's just go, where were there surprises? Anywhere. At large? Well, I think surprises? we run through them quickly. I mean, let's at large, at large, the surprises were not the four that advanced, which is the four incumbents. So, Councilman Mayfield uh, did not advance. She will not return to council after December 2nd or whatever day it is. We had, I think, predicted that. We, we certainly said Smudgy Braxton and Julie we thought were back in. I predicted Jorge in this last episode, and then I went and looked at the finance reports and saw he had only raised like fifteen grand. and I called you and told you, I've got to change my prediction because you can't win in that large race in, in the echo and chambers Claire, of... Claire Fallon used to, but I mean, she didn't used to raise much money. You, you, had, to, you had to have, right when I saw that amount of money, and knowing the on the other side the amount that Dimple had raised, yeah, and I, I think Luana was in the thirties or something, wasn't she? Yeah. Um. So anyway, so Luana was the odd one out of the five sitting members. Jorge and Chad obviously didn't advance. So I don't think the surprise was necessarily the four that advanced, but um, but Braxton won handily. I mean, four or five thousand votes ahead of second place James Mitchell. Yeah. That uh, 40, isn't overly 40, surprising. Forty five hundred and, and yeah, I, I agree with Tark here and hopefully I think that's it is the last the time I ever say that. District. But um mm. no, I, I mean I think what happened was is is that is that Braxton put together a large coalition. Braxton got pretty much every endorsement that he he could have gotten except for Rebic. Um and and so Braxton had the BPC endorsement. He had the Observer so endorsement. So did Smudgy. Oh, the, he, Smudgy didn't have some of the LGBT organizations. Yeah. And, uh, and 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 so I, I think I think Braxton edged out. Uh, you know, to, to Tark's point, uh, down in the ninth, where you did have a lot of plugged in uh, liberal voters who were coming out to vote for Dan McCready. And what? Who, what by the way, McCready had dumped. All of his money, primarily in the in the wedge of Mecklenburg, yep. but I and, thought that and would had lift. no counter money spent because Bishop was spending. I thought it that elsewhere. would lift Smudgy and Julie more than it would lift Braxton. But but I think I think Braxton had Braxton Possibly. had enough South Charlotte muscle. You know, he had Hugh McCall. He had a lot of a lot of the South Charlotte establishment, and and I think uh, you know Braxton showed what you can do when you build a campaign across the city. I mean, he, he ran a really impressive campaign, especially given the fact that he didn't raise as much money as, as like a dimple. Well, he, here's what, yeah, I, I he really didn't raise. I mean, that's true. He, he's been on more of a kind of rolling constant fundraising. I mean, he's, he was raising throughout the term and he was spending throughout the term. So it wasn't quite the like, turn it on and turn it off. Like but most here, of here's us my, do. here's my prediction because I, 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 I don't think I was shocked by his, his outcome and, and results in the primary. I think that he I wouldn't, has I been, wouldn't surprise by the results so much as maybe the margin. Yeah. The margin. That's what I mean. I, what I think is that he, for the last two years, one could argue has been probably one of the more high profile local people in the news. 100%. I mean, a hundred percent high profile there. What I think that probably has done and was the difference between him two years ago and today is everyone in town who's paying attention to local politics and following it hands down knows who that dude is. They've seen him on the news most, things like that. And I think what's going to happen is that helps him in the primary with that base of a more liberal voter, as we saw, 
in his margin. And I think it hurts him in the general with the more balanced votes as they start coming in and we see him not losing, but not having that kind of dominance. Well, in, in y'all face, uh, because I'll say this because I, I bet neither of you want to, um, it's going to be really interesting to see when the city council walks in in December and has to pick a mayor pro tem. And the, the Charlotte City Council has never violated the unwritten rule. Well, well the time the time that Julie was a freshman and and deferred it to Vi. But but that but that was her, that was her choice. That I mean that's a little different. Um, you, you know, it's it's it hasn't actively violated that rule that the top vote getter uh, gets it. Was it was fairly close last time. But <laughs> no, it wasn't. But Not fairly close, there was discussion. There was discussion and drama. But but I mean, compare that to county commission and school board where it's gone absolutely the yeah. out the out the window. So. <laughs> they got district reps doing it now. But so I think I mean, the general election. There's one Republican candidate for at large. I think Julie. He's not hands particular. down smashes everybody through everybody in the in the. General I think it's election. highly likely she ends up being the top vote getter. I don't think it'll be a runaway. Hundred hundred percent. I'll bet I, that. Right I gotta now. think that a a center right voter if they do any research is probably not going to vote for the republican at large candidate not a bad guy but not a particularly serious candidate compared to the other folks i gotta think that they they're probably gonna like smudgy too if they're vote, i mean if they're voting so i don't know and I, and here's the thing some folks have said well i don't think republicans are going to be motivated to vote because they don't have any Unless they live in your city council district, target. I don't think anyone's but, going to be motivated. Well, no, but here, I, I, here's I, I where they are going to be because of the sales tax. Sales tax, yes. And if it if it weren't for the sales tax, only people in District Six, only Republicans who are really really keyed into what's going on, and they'll have to be in District Six to think that there was much to be really pushed to vote for. But now with the sales tax, the whole county's got a lot so of. So what do you think, mo- uh, your, your average person sitting on the couch, both of them equally like and dislike? The sales tax, respectively. What, which one of those two do you think are more motivated to get up and actually vote Anti. on it? Exactly. But I think that there's enough. I think that the tax streams have enough tentacles in the community that a lot of people will have some direct connection to some organization that benefits from it. Yeah, I guess so. I don't like that. So I don't know. I think that the at-large race is going to be really interesting because – I was expecting it to be more bunched up in terms of the vote totals. So then the question becomes if Braxton's overperforming on the left and center left, then does that even potentially make up for what he might lose in the general election to a Julie and a smudgy? It could be really tight between those three, I think, in the general election. Well, and don't forget that you have over 10 school board candidates for the first time since 2011. 12 or 13. Oh gosh! It's either uh, twelve or thirteen. You know the, the last the last time there were there were almost eighteen, but they kept on dropping out, so it was hard to keep track of the entire thing. But but you have you have over ten school board candidates, and they come from diverse constituencies. You have you know Jennifer Delahares from Davidson. It's uh, only one Republican. You you have only one Republican. You have people from the West Side, the East Side. You have people from the Wedge, the Crescent. Um, so, so depending on how vigorous they are with, with their campaigns, I think that influences turnout, but not, not as much as the tax, not as much as the D six race. And but, I mean, you're not going to get, there's not going to be a ton of mailers. There's not going to be a ton here's of my like, other prediction. School board is a pretty this low This will be a record low turnout. Record low turnout. If it's not, it's only because of the sales tax. I mean, 
but they're just you got to. Th- I mean, in twenty seventeen, you had four mayoral candidates spending six figures. Yeah, driving turnout. When's the last time there wasn't like a noticeable person at the top of the ticket before our, our lifetime? Like, there's always been a competitive mayor's race yeah. our entire yeah. lifetime, and probably well, well, in the well, of that's arguable. It's arguable. Well, okay, you're right. So, so there's always I, been I'm, somebody who was at least moderately well, no, funded. I'm going I'm to throw this back to you. 2005. Is that Craig? Uh, that that was Craig. I think a lot of people would not consider that uh, a vigorous mail, mayor's race. It Craig def- Madden was the Craig. Democrat against Pat McCrory, and, oh. and it and it definitely wasn't as yeah big. during that stretch there were. But he's not a David times. Michael Rice. Well, well, no, but but what's interesting about 2005 is that is also when the school bond failed. Um, oh. and, and so if you if you go all the way back to to, to 2005. Democrats weren't that interested in the the at large or or the mayor's race. I mean, honestly, the biggest thing that happened for Charlotte's history in 2005 is that Anthony Fox got elected at large for the first time. Um, but the school bond ended up failing, uh, which which I think is the last time a school bond failed. And if you have record low turnout this time, especially since, uh, I mean, I would not be shocked if city primary turnout ends up being higher than the general election turnout for the first time because of the, the battle of the dance. Oh, 100%. Um, I don't think there's any question. Even when you average out the over 20% turnout in the wedge and whatever it was, 8% I mean, or whatever my, in the rest My race, time. the turnout in the primary was 50% higher than it was in 2017, and that number from our primary last Tuesday was only 50% lower than the general election of 2017. But 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 the other thing is is that you know I can also see a lot of voters in District Six, Ed Peacock Republicans who vote for TART, but they also vote for the arts tax, um, and so I don't I don't think you can tell how any of this is is going to go. It's going to be really interesting to watch, um, and I and I think you know there's not an organized massive opposition to the arts tax like there is. Um, you know, possibly a million, two million dollar campaign in favor of it. So it, it's going to be really interesting to see if people motivated to vote no uh, can go up against one or two million dollars. Side note: Craig Madden's really nice guy. Um, I haven't seen him in a long time, but uh, he's he's a fun guy to hear hear tell stories of the of the old days. And did a lot for trees in Charlotte. Um, all right, run through the races. Uh, one half of R and D in the QC has been reelected. 73% of the vote. Congratulations. I won all 29 of my precincts. Mm. Um, District 2, Malcolm Graham won every single precinct. Mm. So we had predicted, I think, on the show last week, or I'm going to say we did. Be close. I think that it was going to be close, but that he probably had Squeak the edge. Yeah. He didn't squeak it. He ran away with it. Yeah, that and was he, surprising. He literally won every single precinct. I would not have predicted that. Uh, so he'll be, I mean, he's got a Republican opponent, but not one who's shown up to anything so far and not not serious in that district even if you had a good candidate um district three we predicted would be close it was this year's justin harlow and jatanya adams i mean as the precincts were coming in at one point it was like a 12 vote spread and then a 27 oh what ended up being like 200 votes victoria watlington won but at different periods of time when stuff was coming in she'd be up 23 votes and then 41 votes i mean it was like it was absolutely you had to wait for every precinct to come in. And I think District Three is really interesting because it it's probably the biggest race where 
the BPC ballot was beat in the Democratic primary because, you know, the, the BPC ballot has been a really good oh, predictor hey. of who wins in, in Democratic primaries. The BPC ballot was beaten. Terry got the BPC. In D3. Terry got the BPC, but Victoria got the observer. So does that mean that we they are really willing sp- to say the era of the BPC dominance is no longer? Uh, Stop saying things just to support your own confidence in your re-election. I'm just asking the questions. Well, well, the well they, questions. they didn't, they didn't well, get well, District well, 5 Tark, last time. Tark, in, in, instead of trying to throw that out there, man, you need to work and, Go get you, it. and you need to get that endorsement. I tried. I tried. You got it last time. Yeah. But but uh, I think that that's, that's a pretty big one because in, in, the, last, in the Democratic primary last year, um, there was only one Democratic race in which – the BPC ballot was beat, and that was District a, Five. No, uh, last year uh, Senate Thirty Nine, and it was a. Oh, oh, sorry, I thought you meant our last cycle. Um, but but Victoria, you know, Victoria also uh, Victoria and Terry both ran really strong. Yeah, they did. Terry campaigns. Terry running that same cam- same campaign could have won two or three other districts. Absolutely, no question. At least two. Um, yeah. District four, we predicted that Renee Perkins Johnson would be the top vote getter. She was. We weren't sure whether she'd break thirty percent. She got thirty six percent, so there will not be a runoff in that race. But under the old rules, there, there would have been, been, and it would have been with was it Richmond Baker, Charlene Henderson, Charlene actually. Henderson. That's right. Um, not sure I met any of those folks. You did. <laughs> um, R- Renee has a, a really interesting background. Uh, we sat down and, and had breakfast at uh, Zeta Jane's. Uh, a couple months ago when she was was first starting out and she's i think she's going to be bringing a real different uh trauma-informed perspective uh mental health informed perspective to, to charlotte city council and i think she's she's going to be uh definitely a, a a different representative but somebody who's got what some... do you mean by mental health that's her professional background yeah oh. is in that field she she seems pretty even keeled yeah um which i think is good so in District 3, I didn't mention, but Terry and Victoria pretty evenly split those precincts. Renee won most of the ones in District 4. Gabe Cartagena won one, I think, and Richmond, ba- Richmond Baker won one. Oh, your prediction of UNC Charlotte turning well, I think out in he, mass numbers? Well, I think he won that precinct. You were claiming that they, they could all that show up, That was his up, strategy. Bro. It didn't work. Yeah, I was yeah. like, dude. College kids are not showing up in mass. Well, see, I had a problem with that that assumption, and, and I told Gabe that because uh, a long time ago in 2006, when I was 20 years old, I ran for County Commission District 1, and that was back when Precinct 141 UNCC was still in the district. And I was absolutely excited that I won Precinct 141 in my primary. I won it six votes to three votes. Yeah, there you go. Bingo. <laughs> One of them was your own vote. <laughs> District 5, uh, Matt Newton was reelected with 60% of the vote. Vin How did Roy- he pull it out? Vin Roy Reed did win a precinct. Uh, or really? two. One or two precincts. Um, mm-hmm. And then in District 7, Ed Driggs won two to one. He won like 66-33. I, I, so I and he won every precinct. I guess we we asked ourselves, and, and what, what would the... Observer uh, endorsement mean well no not not even that which what I guess the, it means that Republicans in Ballantyne congressional don't, ninth don't defer what, to what them. impact would the congressional ninth have I and think if you look at those yeah. results you look at it and you say it had to help him I I guess Victoria got somewhere around three thousand votes or something like that thirty eight to clarify for our listeners Victoria Wasike yeah who different was running against Victoria um and we had we had said the the one thing that kind of had a little bit convinced me beforehand was 
a couple of those rezonings from earlier in the term, some neighbors that might have been upset, you know, a little a little duplicate of, of the old Larkin 2017 um, coup and upset um, could have been something that could have got him. I think, and I, we talked about this after the, that night. Who's when you calling an upset? You're one from two years <laughs> ago. Kidding. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, it was an upset to everyone but you. Um, is that uh, her her floor, it was her, her exactly was where it was. Her number was static. Her number was static. That's right. And, and, and got all the additional people that came in. So I think he probably would have won either way with, the, with that margin. Big. But th- I think that maybe explained some of that margin. Had there not been a congressional race, her number wouldn't have changed as much as his. Right. He still probably would have won. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But she ran a good race. I think she is. I think she's still going to be one of the likely heir apparents down there. I don't think Ed wants to do this forever. Um, so I think she put herself in a Especially good. Especially posi- after the night. <laughs> yeah. I think she put herself in a good position that when Ed decides to do something different. Um, I don't know. Or right off in the sunset. I, would, I guess so. I, I think she's I, got a, a lot of people. She's got were, a jump start. A lot of people were. Ruffled feathers in that. Why would you run against run them. against yeah. an incumbent? And but I don't know. think she. I don't think she was. I don't think she ran an ugly. I mean, she didn't run like a, a mudslinging no. campaign no, or anything. No, no, no. And and you know, Vic, Victoria is also on planning commission. She's been a, a real strong member to to work with. And if you look, if you go see Victoria Wasake's LinkedIn profile, she has an absolutely amazing resume. Um, so I, I don't think we've heard the last of her. No, I don't think so either. Uh, Sam, what were your uh, anything that stuck out to you on the municipal side? It's you know it's hard to extrapolate anything from this because this is the f- probably the first and last time that we have a ninth district congressional election. But that here. only really impacted District Seven. I have twenty nine precincts. Only three of them are in the ninth, and then I don't know if Matt has any. But District Three, well, At District large. Three might have. At large, certainly was swung. Yeah. District two and district four certainly have no precincts in the ninth. I'm not sure about five or. I'll tell three. you what. I'm super lucky that there wasn't a runoff, and that election wasn't on the general. I yeah. can absolutely promise you, I am very because there would be literally. Wait, no, there couldn't have been nothing. a runoff in the ninth congressional district. No, no, no. If there were, if there was a runoff in the primary, the primary. it would have thrown the general it, on Tark's. November election. Oh, 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 you mean a, a in the, the runoff? The, Republican, the, the final runoff would have been. You mean a, a runoff in the ninth congressional the Republican primary yeah. back in the spring? Because that would have pushed the, the election that just happened to yeah. our general, and it would have been the same as Matthew Ridenour in county commission, where it literally wouldn't have mattered what I did in my campaign. There could have there like there was no coming back from that. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's hard to extrapolate any, anything. It's hard to really find any lessons for next year. I know that people are going to want to dig in and get them. But what we have seen is that for two years in a row with two McCready elections, uh, the shape of the wedge or the color of the wedge has gone from purple to Carolina blue. And it's going to be really interesting to see how this affects Republicans going forward and also um, – I think it might be worth thinking about just 2020 probably is going to look very same in a general election. McCready versus Bishop. No, no, uh, no. Just, just, I just hope Dan uh, McCready doesn't subject himself to another year. Uh, of that. But, 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 but how, I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, it's really, it's really hard to see Republicans coming back and doing really well on County commission until 2022 when uh, Trump is gone and people are, 
feel like they can split their ballots again. Uh, 2020, um, I just don't, given these past two elections, I, I think it looks like it's going to be a hard race. Yeah, that's a good point. That is a good point, actually. Because I, I, I believe that it's not going to be a complete one-party dynasty on county commission forever. It may come to that point in a decade from now. I don't think we're there. But is 2020 going to be too much for for um, for for anyone? And that, that's going to be tough. And, you know, I think the other think thing it matters is how long the ballot is for people, whether they feel like they have to straight ticket or not, because it, you're going to be coming way down the ballot to even get to county commission. You're going to have already if you're Council if you're State. voting against um, Trump and then anyone else you associate with him, you're going to have come like eight races down the ballot before you get. To county commission, maybe more. Put some I mean, extra stuff on because we're. Yeah, I mean, we got all. The, no, we we got president, governor, United States senator, lieutenant governor, council of state. I mean, there's a boatload of stuff. They're, literally, the most things you can have on a ballot. We we're gonna have on a ballot in 2020. Actually, I I will make a prediction. I think that incumbents are going to do very well in primaries because look at look at this. We have had all this political energy expended to come up to last Tuesday. Mm. And now the primary for our 2020 races March. is March 3rd. It is uh, a little over It's a short runway. Uh, that's my birthday. <laughs> is it really? Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> Sucks for you. Uh so so it's going to be, be a lot of parties on your birthday. But but think of, think of it this way, if you are running uh in a primary and you're in one of those races like county commission at large that is going to be decided on March 3rd and you haven't started running yet, or you're running for a, a you know county commission district seat, um, th- those races are going to come to a head very quickly. Wait, and they're in March 3rd, and then their general the is in November? Because yeah. the presidential Ooh. primary has to be so early. Yeah, we, we, we changed around the law, so now it's um, in, in Winter Olympics years, the primary is still in May. Not and because in, of the Winter Olympics, it, mind you. No, no, but, 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 in, but in Summer Olympics years, it's still... It goes all the way up to March um, to be with the presidential primary. So, um, it, even if Simone Biles is is going to participate, let, let me let me tell you, watching we select their candidates via curling. If you haven't seen like Simone Biles' last two or three amazing videos on Twitter, you should go check those out. Have you ever seen Larkin in the picture of him uh, curling? Curling. Let's just say he was. Uh, a lot nimbler back then. I, I feel like the only triples that Larkin and I can land are uh, found at Wendy's. But mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you what I land every night. It's a triple-double, guys. Is there a punchline? That was it. I think I think Tark's concept of a punchline is he says something that makes you want to punch him. Yes. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Maybe I should throw out triple Everything doubles. he says is a punchline. <laughs> I feel like I'm going back 30 to 35 episodes, but like I used to say triple doubles all the time. But I don't even remember what you're referencing. Well, it was something where you're like, you can't use it for that. Well, I, I think that's a good good closer for me. But y'all <laughs> never really had a guest close this out. But yeah, it, it's 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 it's, it's, it's the it's the seventy fifth episode. Mm. You know, for a seventy fifth anniversary, the traditional gift is diamonds. Mm. So I wish you all many diamonds and a night full of. Sweet dreams. You wish the, us the way, the about way the zoning. Work is that you give you them. give them. You don't really wish a gift. I was, I was really trying to get off cheap here. I'm getting married in a couple of weeks. Come on, guys. All right. Mm, shout out, shout out to your better half, Bex. Um, that's been episode 75. I think Sam's right. It's about time we be done. 
But uh, Samwise, happy voting, people. To my Ganji. Thanks for getting out there, even if it was because of the Battle of the Dans, not because of us. And uh, next time you get to do that, there is no runoff. So nothing in October, but mark your calendars. When is it? November? Nobody off the top of their head. Tark, you Fifth. should know this now. It is November 5th. Well done, sir. Bingo. Tuesday, is this the November podcast 5th. that ends with woo? What? Woo! Okay. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs> Who win it now? Huh?